I believe sometimes as women, as girls, we forget our self-worth. Whether it's boundaries put up around us that prevents us to remember that we are strong, powerful women, or boundaries we put in ourselves that makes us think that we are not strong, that we aren't really worthy. My goal is to change that. My goal is to have you know that you are worthy, that you are capable of making a difference and a change, that you are capable of succeeding and pushing yourself. My podcast, Girls Who Run the World, shares stories of strong, powerful women that are changing the world, that impact their community through their everyday lives. I am so excited to share this podcast with you all, hoping that it makes you realize that you are strong, you are worthy, and you are powerful. Let's do this. Molly Elkman is changing the world one house at a time. Molly is the owner and president of Group 2 Advertising, while also being the author of The House She Built. Molly is the co-host and co-creator of Building Perspective Podcast, and on top of it all, Molly is a mother of two children. Molly is changing the face of home building and truly making an impact on the world each day. I am thrilled to be here with you, Molly, in Philly, so exciting, and to have a chance to hear your story and share it with you all for being here today and I'm so excited. Yay! Woohoo! I'm happy to be here with you as well. Thank oh, you thank for making you. the trip to Philly. Oh, yes, I love it. Love it here. And after this, me mom's like, we're going to take you to all of our favorite places because they lived here before. You're going for cheesesteaks. Oh yeah, okay. we definitely are. Dad's like, and I think tomorrow after the marathon too on the way home. So I have right. half marathon. I might crash and, and come join you guys. <laughs> yeah, do it. Um, just first tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, well, you gave me a great introduction. So um, (laughs) my name is Molly and um, we've kind of known each other for a long time through social media. We planned this such a long time ago. I know. And I I do feel like I know you through your parents (laughs) and um, having followed you and your sister and all your achievements and just how impressive you are and what you're doing. Um, So I own a business and I do marketing and I have a children's book and I'm happy to chat with you about anything. That's what I said. Ask me anything. I'm so happy to chat with you. Um, So first I want to talk about you as an owner and president of Group 2. Just kind of explain what Group 2 is first off so that my listeners know what it is and then how did you get become like the CEO and president and the story behind that a little bit? For sure. So Group 2 is a second generation business. It was my dad's business and he had a passion for advertising and home building and he combined those two. At the time, it was really rare. You didn't have ad agencies at that time, like in the early 70s, that specialized in one category. So he was like pretty progressive um, and became very well known. And Group 2 has been around, has worked with many of the most successful home building companies um, in the country. And I came into the business when media was shifting. Now media shifts all the time. It's constantly changing with social media. It was during one of those really big shifts. Mm -hmm. Um, He was predominantly a print agency. And then I came into the industry and we went way more in digital, social media, marketing, Um, It was during a housing downturn, which is a rough time to be in one specific category, Mm -hmm. but it was actually a great opportunity for me because I got to rebuild the company in my own vision with my own team and my own kind of culture and mission, which was Mm -hmm. super cool. Yeah. What was it like innovating social media into a building industry? Because social media was becoming, like I was reading the story, but during that time when you were introduced to group two and you started working with your father, what was that like when you took it over? And, you know, this is a big deal. Social media was huge at the time and such a different thing than what you've been previously doing. So what was that like? So actually, you will probably be surprised that I was met with 
a ton of resistance. So people did not buy into social media in the housing industry so much that I was on a public um, seminar where someone else challenged me directly and said, don't do what she's saying. Social media is a fad. (gasps) Yeah. So um, clearly (laughs) I was right. I was right. They were wrong. Um, But yeah, you know, it was really a great way for me to find my voice Mm -hmm. in the housing industry, especially coming into an industry where some people knew my dad already, but I had a very different story to tell. I had a very different approach Mm -hmm. and it gave me a topic to really share that brought value. So I really started my career talking about social media. It was before they had business pages. So at that point, it was still personal profiles. So I was talking about, there were no ads on social media yet (laughs) when I was talking about it. So um, it was a a great way for me to find something to contribute that nobody else was really talking about in Mm -hmm. a meaningful way. Now I couldn't talk about social media now. There are so many things to know. Yeah. But um, that was, it really helped me find my own voice. That was great. That was great. And then starting that, then you had so many other ideas after group two. So I'd like to shift to what seems to be one of your biggest projects and one of the things you're most passionate about, which is the house that she built. Um, Can you just tell us about like that initiative and idea behind the book that you wrote and then what ignited that idea? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I took over my dad's Mm -hmm. company. So Being in the industry, I built my career. I found my own voice, my own way of kind of doing things. And throughout my career, I really haven't met that many women who are in housing, who are building, who are out there. And I, the ones that I have met, I've become pretty close Mm -hmm. with. So the idea of the house that she built actually came directly from a friendship through, you know, growing up in the industry together. So my friend, Christy Allen, She is a general contractor in Utah. She grew up in the industry as well. Her dad was a builder. Her grandfather was a builder. And we both kind of have this feeling that, okay, we were brought in by men in our lives. Now we're here. How do we bring in more women who don't have someone in their family who's connected to the housing industry? Mm -hmm. So she started a group where they decided it was a group of women um, to build a house using all women and women-owned mm. companies is so cool, <laughs> I love it. but wildly ambitious mm. to the point where you would think that this is, you know, the average person would be like, well, that shouldn't be that hard. No, it is really hard. Yeah, I can imagine. So less than 1% of all the people who work on construction job sites are women. So to build a house in any market using all women in the trades mm-hmm. is virtually impossible. Um, when Christy reached out to me, it was because I own a marketing company. So okay. she wanted to use a women, a woman owned marketing company. Yeah. And I was immediately like, yes, we have to do this. And we named it the house that she built. Um, so we actually did the marketing for the build in Utah. That's so cool. And that's what the, um, that's what inspired the book. Yeah. I'm so excited to ask like what happened with the house after. Cause I told my dad today, I was like, dad. If I was just a little bit older, you know, a little bit richer, I would be buying that house. <laughs> Do you know what's funny? I actually thought about buying the house. Yeah. Like for a second, yeah. I thought it would have been so cool to have an Airbnb that is totally themed about women in so the cool. trades yeah. and really like make it this like experience for yeah. people to come. 
Um, the house wasn't built for that though. The house was like very intentionally designed and built for a family. Okay. So the women in Utah, like, I think that would have almost been like sad for them because they really, they wanted to, they were so thoughtful in how Mm -hmm. they designed it. So it did sell to a family. And what's pretty cool is there are three projects that are going to be starting in the next year or two that are the house that she built in different cities. That's so fun. Yeah. Um, But then how did that, you know, building that one house where it was all women from all the different trades that like building it, how did that impact the building industry after that? So or how has it? Yeah. So, you know, it really has impacted the building Mm -hmm. industry. I believe it will have a very long term Mm -hmm. effect um, for one, it inspired the book. So after the house sold, we were a- we're able to keep telling the story. Mm-hmm. You know, had if we didn't have the book, we wouldn't be able to keep getting out there and sharing how important this is and how fulfilling it is to have all these different careers that have to do with STEM right. and showing girls that they these are great paths for them. Yeah. So um, it's it's impacting the industry because there's a labor shortage. And whenever there's a labor shortage, you look at any group that is underrepresented and with less than 1% being women, this is the biggest part of the population that is so underrepresented. We need workers. Where do we go? We go to the group that there aren't enough. Yeah. Yeah. So the numbers are definitely climbing. We Mm -hmm. have a very long way to go. I believe very strongly in a long-term solution. Mm -hmm. So what that means is right now, a lot of the effort is towards high school kids to recruit them into the trades. And there's a lot of emphasis on kids who maybe academically aren't interested in college. Mm -hmm. We want to break that and we want to go all the way to the kindergartners so that they don't they think that this is a great option starting from a young age. They don't think it's less than. It doesn't mean you're not smart or you're not good at this, so you shouldn't go to college, you should go to trade school. No, we want to break that. We want to show that every path is really awesome and every kid is different, have a different path. That's awesome. Yeah. So we were just talking about, you came up with this children's book, and can you just tell us like how that was, writing that children's book, and then how what goals you had writing it, how would that impact younger kids a little bit? Yeah. So my, you know, it's, it's done a lot better than (laughs) I even could have dreamed. Um, I, the writing, it was by far the easiest part. Okay. I mean, I basically wrote it for the women in Utah to read at their grand opening. Mm -hmm. So after I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is a manuscript. So I sent it to the publisher basically before I even knew it was a book. (laughs) So that part of it was by far the easiest. The hardest part was really learning a different industry. So I'm in the marketing world. I'm in the home building world. I am not in the publishing world. Yeah, that's so so much different. That's what I was like. It's a whole different, Mm -hmm. it is a whole different beast. And it is a lot of who you know and doing things a certain way. And so there was a massive learning curve Mm -hmm. for that side of it. Um, the book was published through the National Association of Home Builders. They have a publishing arm called Builder Books. Builder Books typically does um, building codes and things like that. They've never done a consumer-facing title, and they've never done a children's book. So we learned a lot <laughs> along the way. And my publisher, Patricia Potts, um, she is incredible. She has a passion for women's rights and just women's issues, and she's an incredible human. And the two of us really kind of figured a lot out as we were going. 
And like, that's the best way to do it though. Yeah. And you know, there have been some pivotal moments where we're like, wow, this is going to be a big deal. And one Mm -hmm. of those was my tech is a um, global global tech company in the home building space. They decided that they were going to purchase and print about 20,000 books to donate to under-resourced schools. That's awesome. And so then we started to realize like we have, we have a real opportunity Hmm. to actually cultivate change from there. It turned into a Girl Scout patch. We have educational programming. We have all these different things. Um, but we couldn't have predicted it because so much of it happened organically. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, well, that's one of my favorite parts when you just said the Girl Scout patch. I was like, I don't even have that written down. I was like, but when I first found out about that, I was like, Dad, it's a Girl Scouts patch now. Cause like Kenzie and I grew up being Girl Scouts and having little patches. We didn't stay in it too long. But how did that come to be? How did that connection happen? Yeah. So that it goes back to that organic, um, you know, growth. Right. So really, you know, I have like a list of dreams. Yeah. Girl Scouts was on a list of things that I wanted to accomplish at some point. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make a connection, but you can't do everything at one time. Right. And literally I had a list for the full year in January of that year. I got a call from the Girl Scouts. That's so exciting. <laughs> They're like, you like, have to turn goodness. this into a patch. And I was like, that is just meant to be <laughs> like on your when the Girl Scouts call <laughs> You answer the phone. So um, it was so great. It happened really Mm -hmm. organically. I had never written a Girl Scout patch program. So here I am. I was like, send me what you got. They're sending me sample programs. And I wrote a Girl Scout patch program. And it was so well received that we actually crashed the council's server. Yeah. (laughs) And even now, like, so we're actually rebuilding the patch program now with a different council. They have a huge STEM center. It's in Ohio. And they're going to build this out where girls can come and, and read the book, do the activities, but also learn how to do the trades. Oh wait, that's so cool. That's going to be so exciting. Um, But what, what I found interesting about the book is like when I first found out that you were coming out with the children book, after I heard about the house and all the women building it, which I loved, I think it's really interesting that you did a children's book because, you know, growing up reading books, we didn't have books where you only saw women in books. Like Kenzie and I, I can't think of one book where it was only a woman or if it was just one girl and it was about like, I don't know, some book, Amelia, I don't even know, but where you just saw one girl, but seeing girls doing something that, you know, kids can think is so regular, like building a house, like that's in their mind, it's simple, but you would think men do it. Like where I'm coming, grew, grew up, where it's man, a male dominated industry. So what I loved about it was that you, it's all women. Like you never see one. I don't think there's one man in that book. There's nope. not. Yeah. <laughs> I was making sure because I was like, I don't see one. Um, so how's that like to navigate a business that like since you're in the home building industry, how's it like to navigate a business that's predominantly male dominated or historically was all male? Yeah. So children believe what they see. Mm-hmm. So the reason children see these jobs as mm-hmm. male jobs is because right now it's mostly men out there. Right. But it doesn't mean women can't do the jobs. Mm-hmm. It just means that a very small percentage of them do it. Yeah. It's actually, um, years ago, there women weren't doctors. Yeah. You know, women were never portrayed as doctors. And they had to overcome that. And it, a part of that was starting with a really young age. So the idea of showing young, young children 
that women can have all of these jobs and do it successfully, and the fact that it is based on a true story of real right. women who did it, is how we change that. So, so much of marketing is storytelling. So making sure that children are exposed to the stories that will shift that mindset. So right. what we're actually trying to do is really before that bias forms, it forms in kindergarten. Right. So before that can even form, of course women can build a house. Right. I've grown up reading the house that she built. Yeah. Like it's they they never have that perception Idea. because we're mm -hmm. we're getting in front of them before it forms. That's great. That's why I think it's so important that it was a children's book and what I found really interesting about it because I think if it was an older book like for like kids my age, we would already have that bias formed in our Absolutely. head. Absolutely. Um but how for you personally, not talking about the book but just in general have you struggled with being a woman in a male-dominated industry? Have you seen yourself where in many of the meetings you were like the only woman at the table? And how did that feel with like confidence and sharing your voice and what you think is right? Yeah, you know, I think being a woman and being a young woman when mm -hmm. I joined the industry, I was quieter. I listened a lot. Mm -hmm. I actually, I remember my dad coming to me and saying, you're so serious. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I have to be mm -hmm. because I need to prove that I am smart and that I know what I'm talking about and that I am at this table for a reason. Right. And I did feel like I had to work a little bit harder to earn that respect. I also used it to my advantage. I mean, I'm in an industry that doesn't have a female voice where really the people who are purchasing the product, mm -hmm. which is a house, um, are predominantly driven by female decision makers. Right. You know, purchases that have to do with home in general, not necessarily the home itself, but just purchases yes. with home in general mm -hmm. are predominantly made by women. So to not have a woman at the table is like, right? it's like so obvious. Like, yeah. of course you need a woman at the table. Right. And even today, <laughs> you know, there are website companies and all the, you know, mm -hmm. doing stuff for a brand or product but only representing a small group of the opportunity. Yeah. And that's not just women. I mean, we're talking about race. We're talking about religion. We're talking about like really representing the full scope of demographics mm -hmm. so that you're, you're looking at things from all angles. Right. And you can connect a better way. Like um, I was talking to my mom on the way here about, you know, when she, when mom and dad were trying to buy a house and I was like, you know, it's so cool that she was like, one of the first women to really get out in the industry and just like dominate it. And she was like telling me how, um, first off she made all the decisions about the house that she, um, <laughs> so the dad had no idea, um, on like what the decisions were making. Mom had full control over the house that they were building. Um, like buying, I mean a little bit dad had, okay. Dad had an opinion. I won't be like full on that mom made a decision, but <laughs> mom does run the house. Just don't tell dad. I said that. But so I thought that was really interesting though, that like you women are now able to connect with other women as they see like women, more realtors that are women, more women, home building companies. So I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and something I wanted to ask you was that, you know, we're starting to see role models in society become w <laughs> female entrepreneurs. So more heroes in the world that women are looking, girls are looking up to are female entrepreneurs. So what do you think the importance of that is and how do you see female entrepreneurs on the rise? Oh, I love that question. So I believe very, very strongly in mentorship. Mm -hmm. I have always had strong women around me and 
they're not women who look like me. They're not women who are my age. They're, yeah. you know, just in different industries. Um, for me, mentorship has always, again, happened very organically, just mm-hmm. like meeting someone and being able to learn from them. Um, it's not like a formal thing. It's not like this is my mentor and we sit down <laughs> yeah. and go through this list. That's never been the way I've done mm-hmm. it. Um, I know it can be harder for people who aren't like as outgoing or, you know, right. who, you know, are generally curious and mm-hmm. want to ask questions. But if you can have different uh, women who you look up to and respect, not in every part of their life, but in one right. specific area where you can really learn something and pick something up from that. Mm-hmm. It is so valuable. I agree with you. So I've I've always yeah. had um, strong women in my life and women who have given me feedback. And not just women. I have men who are mentors as well. Right. Um, it's... It's a really, really important thing to always be learning. I think that's really, like, even growing up, like, I always go back to my story because I can connect in a way where, you know, growing up with our parents always saying, okay, you can do whatever you want. You can, like, put your mind to anything. I think they they never ever, they never said, like, no, you can't do that. That's too crazy. That's too bold of an idea. Um, when Kenzie and I were younger, we'd start, we started like, I don't even know all these companies when slime was a thing, we started a slime company <laughs> on Instagram, start, try to start a bathing suit company, bracelets, like anything. Like we just were always like a business driven people and ideas were just always flowing with us. And my parents were always like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And some of them were the craziest ideas, but I mean, they let us go through with it. Um, even up to today where we're deciding, you know, that we're going to go to college at this place. And dad's like, oh, well, obviously they had a degree, but they were like, I think that's great. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to start a podcast. All these things our parents have supported us with. But I think, you know, not just my parents, but I wouldn't be where I am today without female female mentors. Uh, my mom's a huge one. I have tons of women all from different parts of my life, which is really en- interesting. Um, and I actually realized that at our graduation party is we had like, we had invited like people from preschool, high school, family, friends, people that I met through even the podcast. And um, I got to really see, and it was, there were men there too, but a lot of the women, young, younger girls than me that have inspired me, older women, girls my age. And so I think um, when I think of a mentor, it can be someone my age, it can be like a mother of somebody else, it can be a, it could be you. And so I think that is really important. And especially in college, you know, in sorority life, you'd get this, you have like your big sisters. Um, did you guys do that? Like yep. bigs? I, that is something that I fell in love with because I wanted to make sure the person that I got with would be like showing me the ropes, the ends of everything. And so I think, um, that's why I try to do the podcast and that's why you're doing what you're doing is to really, you know, show other younger girls that women can do anything. Girls can do anything, not just older women. Um, so I want to shift into, uh, you as a mother. So you have two children, which two, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. Dad said four. So I'm like, Dad. Oh, God. You know what? Like, you know what, Chad? You back up with that. It's like three. I go, four. He goes, no. No. Uh, maybe three. That's not even funny. Maybe three. Maybe two. I'm no, like, no, okay, no. I'm going to text her and ask because it's I will have. two. I'll no, say. I am one of four. So okay. I have so maybe that's siblings. Where yeah. We'll give him that. We'll give him that. And um, so while you're mother of two, while also being a CEO and president, how do you juggle being a mother and an entrepreneur at the same time? Yeah, I think, you know, it's life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, we always have stuff going on. Everyone has stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So it's really just making good decisions 
based on what is in the best interest of your family and your company in any given moment. And it shifts, you know, right. you, you are not 100% focused on one for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of zig and zag mm -hmm. a bit. Um, but it's fun, right? Like yeah. that's the ride. And, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is being open and receptive to different opportunities. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, you were talking before about some of the things you've tried. Right. People don't realize being an entrepreneur, like being successful, right. you don't see the nine things I tried and failed. You right. see the one that actually clicked and worked. Right. So, you know, I think it's being compassionate with yourself mm -hmm. and knowing, you know, every once in a while I have to miss something for right. the kids, but I'm not missing the big things. I am right. making a very intentional decision of where I'm involved in allocating time. So like, right. for example, my daughter's in kindergarten, I'm class mom. Like <laughs> I am awesome. class mom. Like I'm sitting here sending emails to the parents <laughs> and going into the classroom. Yeah. I don't really have the time to do that, but I, she is only in kindergarten this year. So right. like that is top of my list. Yeah. Like I'm not going to give up on that because that is important to my life. Yeah. Am I going to show up for every single practice of whatever? Yeah. Probably not. But mm -hmm. if she wanted me there, I would make it a priority right. and I would make it happen. And I think it's important to, for growing up like as a girl or a boy just to see that your parents can be doing other things than just taking care of you or being at every practice. And I think kids would understand that. I think I didn't realize it at a young age, but when I got to middle school or even elementary school, I was like, okay, my parents have to work to pro provide me with A, B, and C things, right? To be able to go to private school, be able to have these opportunities to travel. So I think it's good for a child to see that, okay, mom has to work right now and she can't. she's gonna miss this one thing or dad's traveling and he's gonna miss this one dance. But it's not like you're angry about it because you're like thankful that they're doing such a thing. Yeah, Do that's also a sign of having great parents. So yeah. because your parents explain that to you in a way that you understood. Right. And, you know, one of the things I try to do is I've brought both of my children on business trips oh, awesome. before. Yeah. So my son has actually seen me speak in front of yeah. an audience of 500 people. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, instead of being like, go me, I I got off the stage and I was like, did I look nervous? I was really nervous. Yeah. And like, he was like, no, you didn't look nervous at all. <laughs> and we talked about it. And I was like, I was so nervous, yeah. but I still did it. And like, right. we had that conversation. Right. So, you know, just like making sure, like, I remember thinking when my dad would speak, I'd be like, how does he do this? He makes it look so easy. And it's okay to work hard. Yeah. And it is okay to be grateful for the things that you have because of that hard work. And, and quite frankly, it's probably why you are so business minded. Right. Because you know that you can have relationships and you can have family and you can also work hard all right. at the same time. And I think growing up with two parents who are very hard workers and just understanding that, like when you say your son went and watched you talk, um, we would go to, we went to Portugal one time with dad. We thought it was like the coolest thing ever. We were like Chad Sanskrin and Kim's kids. We were like, oh my goodness, dad's speaking. <laughs> they might know who we are. <laughs> it was like the best thing ever. Um, but I think being able to have those experiences with them too and really grow up seeing your parents love what they're doing. Um, that's That has taught me that I really wanted to make sure, like I was just telling you before, that I'm doing something that I love and that I'm passionate about so I can really thrive in that community that I'm in. 
Um, but I totally agree. I think you're doing a great job. I follow you on social media. I'm like, she's traveling all the time, yet being one of the greatest CEOs and doing all this. So oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> I'm like, I, you keep raising the bar. So. I promise it's it's not easy. It's yeah. hard. And you just keep going. Yeah. You know, like there are days where I'm like, oh, I got my kids to school on time. That is my win. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's That's the best. You know, I don't want to make it look or sound like it's like super easy. And yeah. like, it's not. It's hard. No, it's not. But. Life is hard for everyone. Oh, <laughs> well, there have been many moments where Kenzie and I have been left at school, but that's because, um, like, you know, parents are working and it's like oh, the best getting, stories. Oh, they're getting called it's the best out. Story. <laughs> <laughs> they know it though. We talk about it all the time. We'll be like, mom will be like, okay, you're going to have to stay there until like maybe six o'clock. And yeah. then we'll go around and walk and play on the whatever. Yeah. My son brings a soccer ball and it's like, if I'm not there at 301, just go play soccer. <laughs> yeah, like, play soccer. it's okay. I will be yeah, there. And I love it. I, those are the best stories. Like, Kenzie and I never cared. We loved being at school. I think high school, not middle school too much, but high school, we like fell in love with going to school. So if they were like, nobody likes like, middle school. No, middle school is the worst. <laughs> but high school now, even college, we're like, okay, wait, I want to stay here. Like, this is good right now. You know what I mean? I Before that. things get too serious, <laughs> um, where I actually have to start like <laughs> doing stuff. But, um, I called you the queen of marketing in this one, so this is funny. As the queen of marketing, which I love marketing, I keep telling dad I want to go into it because, like, brands, like, clothing brands are my favorite things right now. Like, Aerie. Do you know Aerie? Yes. Um, I'm like, I love their message between body positivity. But anyway, I'm just, that was, like, me getting off topic on how I love marketing. Um, I want to shift to personal branding and specifically um, your story with personal branding and how do you think your personal brand has shifted over time, whether it was child to now or high school to now, how's that shifted? Okay. So personal brand is something that I think your generation talks a lot more about than Mm -hmm. my generation, because we didn't really like grow up with like influencers. And I mean, there were always celebrities and things like that. Um, When I came into the business world, I never thought about myself as a brand. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. And I actually wanted to build a company that was known more than me. Okay. So what's funny is, you know, when group two was my dad's, people knew him more than they knew group two. Okay. And it actually was the opposite with me. It was like group two was the star. Mm-hmm. What's funny is now that I have a book that has kind of changed because my name is associated with the yeah. book and that has kind of created, um, you know, a, just like a different path. And that's right. part of life. You know, it changes mm-hmm. and it shifts. You know, I, I have a business and now I have a children's book and now I'm working on Girl Scout patches and you just kind of different opportunities present. So as far as personal brand, I, I actually think it has less to do with an outward facing perception of yourself. My big thing is I try really hard. I don't always succeed, but I try really hard to make decisions that make me feel good about who I am as a human. Okay. And sometimes I fail. Every <laughs> once in a while, there are a couple that I'm like, oh, why'd I do that? Or yeah. why'd I say that? But um, that is, like, I want to live a life that mm-hmm. reflects, like, what I'm proud of and right. being someone I'm proud of. Right. So for me, that's, like, more important to me than, like, an outward-facing brand. Like, it's always most important that you are proud of yourself. Right. I know that sounds cheesy. No, but I think it is. It helps. It yeah. helps make, like, it helps you make good decisions. Right. You're still at the age where like you should, I know you're making bad decisions in your twenties. It's kind of part of your twenties. I'm not 20 yet. That's not, Oh, you're not even there yet. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. Um, but how do you think, you know, cause you worked with social media. How do you think social media is affecting 
whether it's personalities or like personal branding or people now, people's companies as themselves, how is social media impacting them? Yeah, I think social media is an extremely powerful mm-hmm. tool. We have learned that. And I think that there's a lot of negative that right. comes from social media. Yeah. A lot. Of, that's why, like, I wanted to say, like, I hope I'm not making it seem like it's easy because, like, no, it's none not. of it's easy. <laughs> I also am not someone who's, like, going to go online mm-hmm. and share, like, my grievances or problems. It's just right. not my personality. Yeah. So, um, but it is not easy. And I think um, it becomes problematic when girls see something that is not obtainable right. or isn't real. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is something very, very likable and important about, like, meeting people who are just real. Right. And so social media, I think, has has started to shift into a little bit more of that and, um, you know, really showing right. more of people. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to continue to evolve. I think there are very good things and very yeah, bad things. I think – you know, growing up, I remember, I don't even know when I had Instagram. I think it was like, I snuck it around my parents and I like told them that I like thought it was the coolest thing. I think it was like, uh, maybe for like sixth grade, we weren't supposed to have it. And I would like log in secretly on the iPad and be like posting like emojis as my post. And it was just like the weirdest thing, but I thought it was the coolest thing. And then I hit middle school and I always, I've talked about this, I think in every episode, but I hit middle school and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't post this. This is embarrassing. Right. Like, or these certain photos, or if I look this way or, and I, we had this instance where, you know, growing up and I think this had, that this instance had affected me more than I thought it did at the time where like a girl like screenshotted some of our photos on Instagram and like made a collage video and had like a weird sound on the back. And she made one for me and one for my sister. Surprisingly, she could tell us apart, but, and sent it to every boy in the school that we went to. Every boy got this video and it was like, our faces were getting blown up in the video. And it was- tr- Who does I know, that? It's, isn't that terrible? This is so in middle like, school. That stuff, oh, that, that child, yeah. poor, and poor child. So, they must've been going actually, through something wild. It is, I mean, and we still like kind of know where this person's at in life, but I mean, we're doing completely different things. But at the time, so she made that video and I was like, oh no. You know, like maybe I cried over it one time and I was like, oh, I'm stronger than this. Like, this doesn't matter. Like, I'm just going to brush this over. But I think that had affected me for a couple years, maybe not that specific instance, but what I took away from that was like, okay, this, these photos of myself are weird. Like, why would I ever want someone to see this? Right. And then I got to high school and my values changed, especially during COVID. COVID was a huge negative for a lot of people. It had negative effects to my life, but it had a lot more positives than negatives. I grew as a person. I learned that it's okay to be by yourself sometimes. Like that's where I really got into running. I like realized I wanted to start the podcast. I realized what I wanted for my life and the person that I dream of becoming. And so I started to realize that I want to be real on my social media. And my social media is all real. All the people you see in all my photos are my best friends. I talk to all of them. They're like not people that I don't know. Or even in my podcast, I try to like post my runs that were really a struggle for me because I think I talk about running so much and like the highs of it when I ran Chicago and I was like, you know, girls can do this, but there were so many lows that were in that training period. So I think it really is important to be real on social media. And I think girls, you now can start telling. Not just just on social media. So like, for example, what I was saying before about how important it is to feel good about who you are and the decisions you're making. So for example, you're still going to have haters when you're my age. Oh. I hate to tell you, there's going to be haters. And almost always it is a reflection on them and not you. So right. let me give you an example. When I first started public speaking, mm-hmm. we get, you know, people 
uh, give us scores on how we did. And like they rank you. It's part for of group two um, for the international okay, builder okay. show. Like oh, you yes. get ranked I, yeah. and they give feedback. And I gave one of my first long talks. And one of the comments that I got was, I can't stand this woman's voice. If I had known she was the speaker, I would never have come to this session. She sounds like a Valley girl. <laughs> and I was like, huh? Oh my goodness. And like, I, I was just like, okay, like I could kind of see that, but also yeah. like, I don't have to be for everyone. Right. And I know that like, I worked really hard to give good content. And mm-hmm. like, if, if something about me irks someone else, mm-hmm. they don't have to be in the room. Right. Like I'm cool with that. Yeah. And like it, it's, I think as you age too, you yeah, kind of you like get that. that a little mm-hmm. bit more of just like an acceptance that like, yeah. I may not be for everyone, but I'm good with me. Yeah. So that's. I think it is as, that's okay. But as I think that is a thing that as you grow up, you learn more of, because I think I am starting to shift into the, it's okay if people don't, not everybody listens to the podcast. It's okay if, you know, people might think I'm really confident about who I am and maybe they think I come off in a cocky way, which I know I don't, but maybe they think that's too much for them. And I think, you know, growing up and I still kind of in high school, I was like seeking so much validation from other people liking me. I would definitely transform or try to change who I was because I was seeking. It feels so nice much. to yeah, be liked. It feels, it yeah. feels so nice. Yeah. And then, so I think in moments where you start to realize that, oh no, this person might not like me is something that you learn from. And I think as you get older, like right now, my parents are like, there's people that definitely don't like me out there in the world. My, my grandmother, <laughs> who I was very close with, she used to say to me, if someone doesn't like you, I don't want you to be friends with them because there's clearly something wrong with them. <laughs> That's so, great. I just kind of had that in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, they don't like me. That's, That's okay. Them. They're missing yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we grew up learning, but it, I think it didn't click until you start realizing that like, you're so, like you said, proud of who you are and things you're doing and like you want to keep doing what you're doing and not one person not liking you or hundreds of people not liking you is not going to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also harder on myself than Mm -hmm. anyone else could ever be on me. Yeah. So like when I'm, when I do something or say something that I'm not proud of, I am going to beat myself up over it more than anyone else. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's all the balance and growing and learning. Yeah. I agree with that too. I'm like, I keep going back to my own story, but I think, you know, in the world that we live in now, um, dad always tells me I have to, his saying is like divorce, divorce the outcome. no, what is it, Evan? I, know, I feel I, like I, know, I should Evan know knows. It. I know Evan knows. Mary, wait. Okay, divorce uh, the out. We're keeping that into Evan. I love when you help me out. Divorce the thanks, outcome. Evan. Fall in love with the behavior. So he, I went on this. I was supposed to go on this four mile run during COVID, and this was when I was training for Philly. And for me, running during college has become something that I've loved because, like I told you, we're constantly filled with whether it's classes or hanging out with friends. You know, it's something that you have to like you're always on the run. Like this, these last couple months have been the most tiring months of my life. Cause I mean, it's super fun. I love it, but you're just always built. I mean, filled with stuff to do, whether it's work or whatever. So I was going on this run and I had hit two miles and I just started crying. Cause I was something in my mind was like, Oh my goodness, this run is going terrible right now. Like, why do I not want to run? I had no motivation to like, actually That's me run. every day. <laughs> and I called dad and I'm like, dad, I don't know why he's like, what's wrong? Like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I'm only at two miles. I think I was supposed to go like five that day or something. And I was like, but year, a year ago I could run a marathon. I was running 26.2 and here I am struggling to run two. And he's like, you have to stop putting so much pressure on yourself. And I think like, maybe you can like attest to this since you had to start building 
you built a company from, you know, where your dad had it, but in a whole new world, basically with social media and everything. And I would put so much pressure on myself to be perfect, but perfect in my own mind. So if I wasn't going a certain pace or a certain distance, or if I wasn't feeling that runners like high that they say, um, I would beat myself up about it. And whether that's like a podcast or if I'm on the podcast right now and I'll listen to it and I hear myself stutter, it's like little things where I'm still like, oh my goodness, why'd you do that? Like, why'd you do that? Um, but I think maybe as I get older, I'll learn that. And like, you seem like you have a great mind on it already, but I still find myself beating myself up. I did that for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I still do it, but I don't look at it as beating myself up. I look at it as finding ways to make myself better. Yeah. So that's great. I remember the first time I did a talk, my dad counted the number of times I said, um, (laughs) and and that, you know, that kind of feedback, if you shift how you think of it, I'm like, okay, well, that's a challenge I can accept. Let right. me try to get it less. I wasn't trying to have zero ums. Right. I was just trying to have less than that first yeah, it's great. talk. Yeah. And so like really, if you ever don't have something that you're hard on yourself about, yeah. it means you're not doing stuff, stuff that's, that's new enough. and yeah, hard, yeah. right? So like I literally have something, probably 20 things every day that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that better next time or right. I'm going to do that differently next time. And that's okay. Right. And how do you think young girls can learn from that? If young girls are currently, you know, like we talked about personal branding, struggling to find who they are and what they want to do when they're older. How do you think young girls can, what are your, what would your advice be to them? Oh my gosh. I wish, I wish I could have learned a little more self-confidence <laughs> at a younger age. You know, I think we think everyone is looking at us way right. closer than they are. Mm-hmm. And people aren't. People are more concerned about their own lives and what they're doing. So one of the things I would say is just keep on doing your thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I try to put blinders on as much as possible because what happens is, you know, it becomes noise. It becomes anything that is going to be negative or create Mm self-doubt. Like it doesn't actually help you. Right. It doesn't mean it's not real. Sometimes you get mm-hmm. feedback and it's a good opportunity to learn and grow, but then just keep moving forward. Right. And um, so as we wrap up the episode, I always, which I've loved this, this is like flown by. I've been like, this I has love been such a good conversation. <laughs> um, but I always add, end my episodes with the same two questions. And I kind of just asked one, um, but we'll get to that one later. So this one's a little off, totally off what the podcast is like. Um, not your favorite cheesesteak though. I already learned that in my profile but what is it so you can say my favorite cheesesteak yeah in philly well i i really go to gyms on south street okay i'm gonna have to ask mom if she went there i I didn't even ask her really good for those of you don't know i wrote molly about my i wrote about molly on my profile english paper which i'll tell you i turned into my teacher and he's like i have like this english teacher just like really (laughs) i think because i came from ndp and we were always writing and so he thinks kenzie and i are like poetic and journalist and I wrote the Which paper. you are. Yeah, you know, it just flows. And, um, but I'm not write, writing children books yet. And so anyway, I turned it in and he was like, this, now this is a profile. Well, you have to send it to me. I will. He's like, this is a profile. This is great. He's like, I love, this is badass women right here. Oh, was, I love that. It was hilarious. I was like, well, I am going to go meet her in person. I feel like I have known you for forever. But, um, and he was like all about it. I mean, he is super sweet, but, um. He was, maybe not too sweet, but that's a whole nother story. But um, it was so funny because I was like, listen to her story. And he, he doesn't give hundreds, but it's going to be close to what he said. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, college college grades. Um, but the question I was going to ask was, do you like to read? And if so, 
What's your favorite book? So I'm besides big the house reader. that she built. <laughs> oh, oh, my daughter tells me all the time. She's like, "Mom, not to be mean, but it's not my favorite book." <laughs> And I'm like, honey, that is mean, but it's also okay. okay. (laughs) That is a little mean. I just read it to her kindergarten class Mm -hmm. and she, she said, mom, that's so embarrassing. I said, oh, it's embarrassing. Well, I'm also bringing hard hats and jackets for all the kids and the kids loved it. So she, she ended up not being embarrassed, but I just thought that was too much. So I am a big reader. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I think I feel about reading a little bit how you feel about running. Like for me, reading is for my mental health. Yeah. I actually read a lot of novels. I have a love of creative writing. Okay. So what I like to do is read books that are on the bestseller list Mm -hmm. because I also, being a marketer, I love to get into like what is resonating with people. Right. So I read a lot of um, New York Times bestsellers and like the Reese Witherspoon books. And some of those are more like beachy reads. Yeah. Um, Right now I am reading the new Taylor Jenkins read book. Um, she wrote uh, Daisy Jones and the Six and the Seven Husbands, or uh, uh, Evelyn Hugo. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. She wrote that one. So she has a new book, and that's what I'm reading okay. right now. And then I just finished The Night Circus before okay. that. And it's a really good, like, interesting, Circus. creative okay. book. I'll check it out. I'm um, not, I really want to get into reading. Like, I always say that during the summer, my sister. We were never big readers. I think, you know, as growing up, we were never found love. Like I said, we did not like school in elementary school. So reading looked kind of sounded like school. So we were always like playing. Um, but my parents weren't readers. My dad was definitely not a reader in high school, but now like reads books every week. So I'm going to check it out. He because, reads like business books, yes, though. And like autobiographies. So here would be my advice. Probably more, I'd probably be more of a creative Read, book person, too. So I used to think down on like, beach books or like even like cheesy romance stories or like things like that. If the story captures your attention, it's worth reading it. And, um, you know, there are some really fun beachy summer books that, you know, they're not like intellectually stimulating. They're not trying to solve the problems (laughs) of the world, but you're still reading a book and it's still, you know, creating an image in your head of the words that are on paper. So I think, you know, part of that, I also like sometimes reading like teen novels. Have you read like the new, what's, um, gosh, there's an author that is like thriving right now with like my age group. You'd probably know it though too. Um, like it starts with us, it ends with us. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that is. Have yeah, you read that? Yeah. I I know of them. I haven't okay. read those, but I think what happens with reading is like you read what feels right in that moment, and yeah. sometimes like a book isn't right for that exact moment. So yeah. I always go and I like read the backs of them, and if it sounds interesting, I buy it, and I don't necessarily read it right away. Right. So like, there's a book called oh, um, Water for Elephants, and uh-huh. I owned it for like five years before I read it, and then it was like one of my favorite books. Oh, that's great! Yeah, and I think that's actually really interesting because Kenzie and I, when Mackenzie will go into a bookstore, it's really rarely me, but when she'll go in, she'll buy like four books, and I think she just read a book that she might have bought before she even started to fall yeah. into love with reading. And she like it was met, years ago. You read it at the right time. Right. It, I probably have 50 books right now in my office. Oh my goodness. I'm not even joking. <laughs> How many have, do you think you've read? All 50? No. no. So what I do is when I read a book, I usually it makes me think of someone. Okay. And, or if I know someone likes a specific genre and I, I don't keep my books, I like to give them away. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. That's such a great idea. Yeah. I'm going to tell dad that because we have many <laughs> in his office downstairs. Yeah. Um, and then the last question I want to ask you, what, 
which we've kind of just talked about a little bit before, but what would your advice be to the girl that's struggling to find her self-worth? Yeah, I think in life in general, like at every stage in life, there is an end, right? Mm -hmm. There's a shift. So like nothing is permanent. So Mm -hmm. like you're in this moment right now that sucks and you're not feeling great, but like it's temporary. Yeah. And I try now to remind myself of that. And like, even when I became a mom for the first time, it was so freaking hard. And someone said that to me, they're like, it's all temporary, the bad and the good. So when you're in the bad, know it's going to end. And when you're in the good, cherish it because it's also going to end. That's awesome. And I think, um, you know, I self-worth is, you know, it can be developed Mm. with one little change at a time. You know, my sister and I, whenever we're like not feeling like our best selves, Mm -hmm. we typically will reach out to each other. And what, what she'll usually say to me is drink a glass of water or, you know what, go for a walk and listen to music. Like something so simple. Yeah. Take a bubble bath or Mm -hmm. one little thing that is just like intentional to kind of like cultivate some self care. Right. And I think that's important though. Like giving yourself, like, especially with college and the transition, I think something I've heard a lot from people or podcasts I've listened to is to make sure you're doing something for yourself each day. So whether that's running for me or walking to class and putting in earbuds and listen, I actually can't say that, but listening to music on my runs, I like play the music loud enough for everybody here. I'm like, maybe they'll like the song or maybe it'll make their day better. But I think it is important to do something. The other thing is every human has yeah. a bad day. Mm-hmm. Every human feels really bad. That is the, that is what connects people is we all have the full range of emotions. So self-doubt, anxiety, not feeling energized. Mm -hmm. Every human has that. Every human also feels happy and excited and all the emotions on the other end. So when you're, when you don't feel great, Mm -hmm. it can feel very lonely, but 100% of the people around you have felt that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think when you kind of realize that it is a little like more centering because it is the full range for all of us. I haven't thought about that like that yeah. in a way, but that's a really interesting thing to think about. One thing I just got together with go. my college friends mm-hmm. and this is something like we always talk about now is there are four of us who are best friends. And at any moment, one of us is going through something really hard mm-hmm. and one of us is going through like something amazing. Yeah, And you know, that is literally life from, mm-hmm you know, once you're an adult to understand, like there's mm-hmm. always bad and there's always good and they happen at the same time and they both come and go. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to have to meet these college friends. They're awesome. They got their stuff together. Um, well, thank you so much for being on today. Thank I've like you. loved doing this and I'm so excited to be back in action. You know, it's been such a long time Yay. since I've done an episode. So I'm so thankful that we got to do this right before I love being in Philly. So I'm going to go explore the city a little bit later. Um, but thank you for everyone listening today and have a great day. Thank you, Molly, for being on. I've loved it. Um, have a great day. Thank Bye. you.